0: As she checked in at the reception desk, the receptionist said, Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, parenthood, publishing, and marriage. I'm Morgan Baden, and with me is my co host and my husband, Barry Laika. Hey, Barry. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, we've had a really exciting week and weekend.
1: We we did it again.
0: We did. Milestone. Achievement unlocked.
1: Achievement unlocked again. You actually don't get the achievement the second time. That's
0: a shame. Clearly
1: you have never played a video game.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I want to interject there and protest vehemently that I played a lot of Super Mario Brothers when I was a kid.
1: Okay. (laughs) I begrudgingly concede (laughs) that that counts as playing a video game. Okay, cool. Anything in the 21st century, however? No. There you go. No,
0: no. Anyway, so, you know, last podcast we talked about the fact that we threw our birthday party for Leia. She turned one. But this podcast we can actually say she now is officially one. Yeah,
1: so we threw the party early.
0: Yeah, a, a few days early. Yeah. So our girl is
1: one. And it's really strange because it... I realize this is probably just our perception, but it really did feel like she woke up the day after her one-year birthday Uh and was a totally different child. (laughs)
0: Like, she's suddenly a little girl. She's
1: suddenly a little girl.
0: Which is not true, obviously. She is still a baby. but, But it is true that she seems to have suddenly acquired not only just new skills but very mature things that she couldn't do a week ago.
1: She suddenly seems to have yeah and and she suddenly seems to have attitudes. We've <laughs> well, talked before about you know she has a personality and and that has always been true. But it seems like now she has she has opinions about things she now. She does. She does. And most of them are happy opinions, yeah. but it's just you know, whereas before you would show her a toy and she would smile. Now she might give a huge smile and clap and get real... You know, yeah. it, it's just a whole different level of
0: well, excitement. Well, I actually laugh a lot because she has started to throw mini tantrums. Yeah. They're... I mean, they're very brief and they're very mini. And I'm talking like if she wants to walk into the kitchen, but I don't want her to go in there. Right. Because the oven's on or whatever. I'll steal her... Steer her away. And she freaks out a little bit yeah. like she she pr- tries to sit down and kicks her legs and like goes limp right which I, you know i've always seen older kids do that right. but it, it's just really funny
1: yeah
0: and it only lasts a second and she's hilarious out it. Yeah, yeah it is
1: very funny because it's like it's like honey your your mouth is writing checks your body can't cash <laughs> yeah
0: but here's the thing so i was very pleasantly surprised that you wrote i mean you always write nice things but you wrote a really <laughs> wait nice,
1: i don't always write right. nice things you
0: no know, i mean like have you met me I mean, you're a, a great writer and I enjoy all of your work, but we talked about this before. Your blog is a little bit less personal than mine is. I,
1: I believe you called it the least personal blog on the internet.
0: <laughs> there you go. I mean, your blog is like the least personal blog out there. You wrote something so lovely and intimate on our baby girl's birthday about her turning one. Um, So I want to, you know, we'll put it in show notes. But I just wanted to ask you, what what made you choose that moment, that day? To to show that I'm a
1: human being? Well,
0: to sort of break down some (laughs) barriers there. And also, do you plan on doing it again?
1: Every time she turns one, yes, (laughs) I plan on doing it. You know, I woke up that morning very keenly aware that, uh, you know, that she was turning one that day. You know, I know the exact minute she was born, obviously, which has always been sort of a thing with me. And in my family, we were very, uh, uh, not, not, not obsessively attracted to the exact minute of birth, but just sort of in a playful way. So my mother, for example, tends to call me, Every day on my birthday, at the time, at the born. minute that I was born, she tends. You to You would call. think
0: you were more into astrology based on that, but no, you're not. no, we yeah. just—it's just—it's
1: just a fun thing. It's just a fun thing. So we tend to do that, and so I was very aware of that, and I was thinking about it, and I woke up that morning thinking about the day she was born, and uh, and I just I had a couple of images and and feelings, you know, that, that I kept. Running over and over again, uh-huh. and they they didn't seem terribly interesting or pungent at first. Uh, you know, it was the the nurse giving her to me after she'd given her her first bath, which is not a you know no, no poets have written epic poetry to that moment, and and I thought why why are these moments sticking in my head? Okay, and I wanted to explore why those seemingly banal or mundane moments were sticking for me so i sat down to to write about it nice and the blog came out and uh and i looked at it and i thought oh this kind of works and uh, i set it to publish it the minute she was born (laughs) (laughs) which i thought you know again that's just what we do in my family so i I thought that would be cool well Uh, it's funny
0: because i learned something from your blog post which is? Which is that I don't think I knew that after... I remember the nurse giving her a bath.
1: Do you? I do. I, I didn't know you were awake for I that.
0: remember you because... Uh, well, I'm pretty sure I'm, you were unconscious. Now I'm wondering I if I, I remember that. I or think I, I just, told you that. It, I think you know, I told you about memories that. Memories are, are changeable, so maybe yeah. I'm just misremembering and only remembering you telling me. But um, But I did not know that you sort of... They like handed you the baby. Well, I was asleep and you were walking around the room alone with her with no one else in the room, right? Yeah. yeah. I had no idea. And that's really sweet.
1: It was a very strange moment. And well, series of moments because it went on for a while. And it really was one of those sort of what now moments. Uh I mean, you know, you're standing there and somebody hands you a living human being and then walks away (laughs) and with no instructions. Like again, like no like... Okay, here's what to expect in the next half hour. Right, or like, I'll somebody, be back in 20 minutes. Right, I'll be back. Yeah. Or just, you know, somebody will be in to take you up to the maternity ward in yeah. 20 minutes. Not Just, here's your baby, bye. Yeah. And so, yeah, and I was so tired. I mean, I know you were tired. No, no, no. But, but yeah. I had been awake at that point, well over 24 hours with no mm-hmm. sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was just really tired and I was, as I said in the blog, afraid to sit down yeah. because I thought I'd fall asleep and drop the baby and they tend to frown on that. So uh, so I just paced. I walked around the room and she was asleep and you were – so there was nothing – I was literally just walking around the room carrying like yeah. a package basically, yeah. you know. And it was very strange. Aww. And and for those of you who tune in because I'm the badass who wrote I Hunt Killers, I'll give you this detail. You know, a delivery room is extremely bloody. <laughs> And they did a very good job cleaning up afterwards. But as I was walking around, I did notice a, a f- smeared fingerprint of blood oh, on, wow. on one of the tables in the delivery room. So they missed wow. that. And that, that is stuck in my head as well. That's funny. That they missed that, that there was this, this smear of blood yeah. um, uh, on one of the tables even after they'd cleaned up. Wow. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I wrote it, again, just to to work it out. Yeah. And, then, and then I decided, oh, you know what? Yeah, I'll... I'll I'll let the world see this and wasn't really sure anybody would care because nobody reads my blog anyway, (laughs) but it got a lot of views that day. My, my, uh, so, so analytics package tells me that a lot of people looked at it, Mm -hmm. which, uh, which is nice.
0: Well, it made me cry and I, I shared it on my social channels yeah. and people at work even said to me, that made me cry. That's what I'm I was going for. I
1: was going for maximum tears <laughs> um, because that's that's the mark of good writing. Can, <laughs> can you make people cry? No, mm-hmm. I, as I've said, if, if, if I couldn't make you cry with that piece, then I should just stop being a writer. <laughs> re- I mean, really, what's, what's the point? Uh, but no, I, yeah, I, I, I don't usually share really sort of deep intimate stuff like that but also i felt like fatherhood was a is a universal enough thing that to write about it was i don't know it just it felt okay it felt felt okay to do that you know um will i do more of that sort of thing i have no idea i really you know i don't plan my blog at all it's just do i feel like doing something and i felt like doing that um Maybe maybe I will. I don't
0: know. Okay. Well, I want to stick in the, the parenting topic for another minute. Okay. Uh, our friend, Melissa Walker, also does some freelance magazine writing and website writing, and she's been doing a lot of stuff for Yahoo right now. And she had a great piece earlier last week called Eight Ways to Raise Joyful Children, in which she interviews the author of a book that's coming out with uh, the similar title of that. Um, that's all about how do you raise joyful children. It's something I think about a lot. A because I, I think that's I think that's an admirable goal. Yeah, I think everyone enjoys joyful people. B I'm a fairly joyful person myself, and I would like to see that reflected because I think it makes life nicer. Um, but mostly because I think it's re- I, the world is really hard, and I want I would like to see a bigger groundswell of concern among parents about how do we make sure our kids. Um, see the the positives of of the world, not yeah. just the terrible things. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy now to only see the terrible things. And um, but there's a lot of beauty too, of course. And anyway, so I thought it was a really great piece. Um, one of the things that stuck out from the article was one of the ways you can raise joyful children is to cultivate unstructured play. Ah. Yes, which we've talked about a little bit before. Um, today actually is one of the the moments where I suddenly was like. Oh, she's having unstructured play. Let's continue. Like, <laughs> which I think is sort of antithetical to the whole point of it. But um, we, you know, we came back from a weekend away. We had a, a dear friend's wedding to attend this weekend.
1: Which, by the way, was my illusion. At the beginning of the show when I said, we did it again. Yeah. Because once again, we left the baby with your parents we while did. we went to the wedding. We're getting very good at leaving our child <laughs> behind.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. And once again, the grandmother shrieking. The grandmother commenced.
1: shrieking. Exactly. That's so funny. But anyway, we did that. So yeah, yeah. that's what I was referring to when I said we did it again.
0: Right. So then we spent the weekend down with my parents after the wedding and uh, just came back up today. And so you were running errands, dropping off the rental car, all of these things, and I had laid out the baby's new mat, and she's gotten, of course, a bunch of new toys from her birthday. She, so many she toys. She's in heaven.
1: So many toys. Yeah.
0: And I was just resting on the floor, leaning against the chair, as she just played and played and played. And every now and then, she turns around and looks at me to make sure I'm still there, and then gives me that big toothy grin that she has. Right. And I say something. But I was really trying to make a concerted effort to not interject and to just, like, let her play and explore. And, you know, I try and keep up a running dialogue because you're supposed to talk to your baby. And I just wanted some quiet. I thought it would be really nice for her to just, you know, she's been, she had a lot of stimulation over the past couple of days. Oh yeah. Um, so, so it was just really funny that, uh, you know, I was like, I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm cultivating right, unstructured play.
1: Well, it's interesting because I realize now that without going into it with that intention, that's what I do with her every morning Yeah, for anywhere from half an hour to an hour, depending, uh-huh. you know, when you leave for work, you drop her off with me and she sits on the bed and she plays yeah. on the bed while I sit there with her right, until she's ready for her first nap. And that is you know the reason why it's in the bed is because this way I don't have to get out of bed. Right. Yeah. And it's it's very nice and she just sits and she plays and mm-hmm. she crawls around on the bed and don't worry I look out. I make sure she <laughs> doesn't fall off the bed. I
0: know.
1: But it's it's very much unstructured. Yeah. And you know she'll she'll sometimes, you know, point to a toy that's not on the bed that she wants, so then I get that for her. But in general it's just she sits there and she plays and she yeah. bangs on her little toy piano yeah. and, and and throws things off the bed because she likes the sound it makes yeah. when they hit the floor. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's just a nice time for her. Yeah. And it is weird. I mean, very early on, I would feel guilty about that. Right. Me too. Because I'm like, oh, like, I'm checking my email and she's just sitting there entertaining herself. Yeah. That seems wrong. I should be entertaining her. And yet. It's, as you say, it's good for yeah.
0: her. That's also one of those things that we'll do differently the second time around, which is the first time around. I, I truly thought that we needed to entertain her every waking moment. Yeah. Even when she was like eight weeks old. Oh,
1: I I remember. I remember. I don't think I ever told you this. I remember there was a day when I was alone with her. Uh-huh. You were gone for a few hours. Okay. And I think it was one of the first times I was alone with her for a while. That's
0: probably when I went to get my hair cut for the first time. It might have uh-huh. It might have
1: been. I don't remember the situation. <laughs> I don't remember the circumstances. But she was so tiny and oh. so little. And I remember I was like, well, I'm just sitting here with her. And she, she couldn't do anything at that point. Yeah, I, she was so little. She couldn't actually play. But I, like, Googled, like, what do you do with a however month old baby she was and it had had all these suggestions. And I suddenly, I felt like the worst parent in the world because I was like, Oh my God, I haven't been doing anything, any of this stuff. And it was like, you know, show her a mirror. She'll love a mirror. And I'm like, okay. And I'm showing her a mirror. And she's like, (laughs) you know, stares at it. And then like, you know, puked. You know, like she didn't care. And I'm just like I was just worried because I wasn't doing any of this stuff. And I thought, you know, this is gonna have horrible repercussions down the line. She's gonna join ISIS or something, (laughs) you know, because I didn't because I didn't play with her when she was like three days old. I didn't, you know. And uh but yeah, I mean it's important to let her just have her time. Yeah. You know, and just as long as you're there to set the boundaries Mm -hmm. and make sure she doesn't hurt herself or, you know, whatever. She needs that time and that's good for her. And
0: this also, I'm sure that cultivating unstructured play also um, applies to older kids who in some families are super overscheduled.
1: Yeah. And
0: I think it's also about, you know, hey, they don't need to be scheduled for every minute of their lives. I feel
1: like that's going to be a big thing for us to deal with. In the future. I just, I because I feel like there's a lot of pressure.
0: There is, but I feel like the pendulum is swinging Well,
1: I, and I hope that that's the case by the time we're dealing yeah. with it. Because, like, I know, I mean, I had a couple of things I did after school. Mm-hmm. I had a few things I did. But not a lot. And I had a lot of time just to think. Yeah. You know? And that's when I wrote mm-hmm. as a kid. And a lot of time to just to play. Yeah. And that was great you know and and i really think that that's a good thing and yeah. and that's something i want to try to be aware of even though it can seem i mean i just think you know you get to a point as a parent where you're like look at all the things my kid is doing right and you're so my proud kid is so my <laughs> kid is awesome cuz my kid does karate and soccer and art class and plays an instrument and it's yeah. like wow your kid's going to have a nervous breakdown at 12 right and yeah so that that's just something yeah. i Keeping the back I of my will say
0: It's interesting because I started dance classes um, when I was about four. Yeah. And by the time we were sort of eight or nine, we were in. I mean, my older sister and then my twin sister and I were in dance classes, and we were at the dance studio five days a week. Yeah. After school, and sometimes until like eight p.m. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. If I'm if I'm remembering correctly, because then you know you we were at competition level, and so we had a lot of weekend competitions and things right. like that ever feeling stressed about it. Yeah. But that's probably partly because the reason we were there after school all day is because there were three of us in sometimes conflicting classes. So like, you know, my older sister would have tap but Kelly and I wouldn't have anything, and so we'd do our homework in the waiting room. You know what I mean? So, like, well, we weren't just in dance classes the entire time. And I was going to
1: say, the fact that it was you with your sisters yeah. makes it a little different. Plus, that was your thing. Right. You right. weren't doing dance class, plus soccer, plus right. fencing, plus, yeah. you know, learning decoupage, plus yeah. basket weaving. That's
0: true. Yeah. You know. Although, I mean, we did take basket weaving. We took an intensive summer basket No, you didn't. Weaving. No, we didn't. Yeah. All right, let's switch. Okay. Actually, this kind of t- ties into it a little bit, but I want to go from parenting to writing. It's so interesting because I know, we both know, that there are some people who listen to this podcast primarily for the parenting talk. Right. And some who listen primarily for the writing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's always, uh, always interesting to me. And I'm trying to transition here into the writing, which is, again, I I read another really interesting article and I tweeted it early last week and I made a mental note when I tweeted it to talk about it in this week's podcast. Ah. It came from a website called Arts Hub Australia, written by an Australian writer. (laughs) Goodbye. And it was all about um, why people are burning out in the arts,
1: Oh, I did see that tweet. Yeah. I didn't click on the link. Okay. I, I, I know why I'm burning out in the arts. I don't need to know well, why anybody else Yeah,
0: is. <laughs> yeah. No, but it was. A re- I think it was a really good look at, especially as our career culture has migrated into one of um, many careers. Like people have a lot of different side gigs right. and they sort of hustle to fill their days with lots of freelance and, you know. Four different things that they work on, and um, particularly when you're a creative person, that seems to be the way to make a living these days. So, um, so she talks a lot about writer burnout and the emotional exhaustion tied to creative output. I feel like that's something you know a little bit about.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, we've, I mean, I've publicly talked about, and we've talked yeah. about on the show my need for a hiatus. Yeah, that you know. in in the past couple of years because I had done written Mm -hmm. what a million words in five years or something insane like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, published 15 books in 10 years and, and, you know, sort of just this unrelenting pace that nobody put me on. I put myself Mm on and it's difficult because it's one of those things where it, it became too much of a good thing. Yeah. I mean, I like writing. I think I'm pretty good at it. Other people seem to like that. I write And it was something where people would say to me, well, why aren't you slowing down? And I would say, well, this is all I've ever wanted to do with my life. And now I get to do it. Why would I slow down now? Mm. And if I can lapse into a somewhat improper metaphor for a moment, you know. You, you, you spend your uh, adolescence wanting sex more than anything, but that doesn't mean that's all you do once you get to do it, you know? Right. Uh, you know, you, you take a break every now and then. Um, and so, I, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where just because something is good and, and, and cool and has a great outcome doesn't mean you just do it unrelentingly. Right. And that's what I was doing with writing, and that's why I needed to take a break.
0: The thing is, I feel like we talk a lot about your hiatus and past tense. Sure. But right now, you're not actively working on anything, right? That's no. under contract anyway. No. I feel like you're in a sort of
1: yeah.
0: hiatus shadow no, area.
1: Yeah, I'm sort of in the penumbra yeah. of, of the hiatus eclipse. Uh,
0: <laughs> what an excellent metaphor. <laughs>
1: thank you. And thank you, Ms. Tomko, <laughs> eighth grade science, for teaching me all about the penumbra. Um I I feel like I'm in a situation right now where, yeah, I'm not under contract for anything. Mm-hmm. Everything that I have written, everything that was under contract has been written. And I'm in a situation right now where I have a bunch of different things I would like to do, but I don't know which one I want to do. Mm-hmm. And rather than force myself to decide, I'm just waiting until... Waiting until either circumstances force me to decide yeah. <laughs> or until one of them just speaks to me more than the others. Yeah, I, I once, uh, when supremely jet lagged and extraordinarily exhausted from having only three hours of sleep uh, at a, on a panel, and you were in the audience, I think, I compared ideas for stories to small children desperate for my love. And I said that the way I like to treat ideas is I push them away and I try to forget about them. And like a small child desperate for your love, then they come back Mm -hmm. and they bring you something. Yeah. Like, look, here, love me. And you go, that's not good enough. Get away, kid. And then they come back with something else and maybe tears in their eyes. And you go, still not good enough. Get away, kid. And you shove them away. And then finally, if it's a really good idea, it comes back with something really wonderful. Yeah. And you go... All right, come here. Give me a hug. Right. You know, and that's when you write it. Yeah, and that's sort of where I am right now. I'm. I have like four really, really cool ideas. You and I have talked about mm-hmm. a couple of them. Things that I think any of these would make a really great book. I think. Yeah. But I. But right now they they haven't. They're
0: just not desperate they, enough.
1: They're not desperate enough. Yeah. They they are you know they're they're not clawing at my pants legs going please love me please yeah. love me and and until it gets to that point I'm I'm not going to jump into it because of this burnout because of this, this sense of, of needing some time to sort of collect my thoughts. Mm -hmm. And before I move into the next thing, um, you know, uh, my editor, one of my editors, I should say, came to Leia's birthday party and said, Hey, how's that Billy Dent short story coming along? And I said, well, (laughs) because the answer is it's not coming along. And that's because, you know, there's no deadline for it. Mm-hmm. Nobody's pressuring me for it. So I'm just letting it happen as it happens. I'm yeah. not forcing myself. Yeah. If I forced myself to do it, I could probably, I could finish it in a week.
0: Mm-hmm. But, but would it be as good as it could be otherwise?
1: You know, I don't even know if it's a question of, of good. I don't know if it's a question of, of that sort of quality so much as it's a question of would it, would I be happy with it? Okay. Would I be happier with it if I waited for it to happen in its own time than if I just pushed through and finished mm-hmm. it no matter what yeah so for everybody who's waiting for that story, my apologies <laughs> it'll happen it will happen but but it's right funny. now there
0: really is a balance between you know if you sometimes the the number one piece of advice for how do you write a book is put your butt in the chair and yeah, write it yeah but on the other hand and I agree with that right but on the other hand, I am also one of those writers who needs to feel passionate and needs to feel a little bit inspired, even just a little bit in order to put my butt in the chair and write and, and care enough about the story to actually work on it every day and to put my butt in that chair. Um, and I'm not like, you know, I've, I've got a manuscript out on submission with agents right now. Uh, no progress made so far since last last week.
1: Well, let let us make sure we describe what no progress means. Meaning I it, don't know it anything. It means we have not heard back from yes. them. Yeah. Because some people might interpret no progress as you've gotten rejections. No, I have There not have been no thing. rejections. Yeah. No news is good news.
0: Yeah. I hope so. But um but I have not been sitting my butt in a chair to write. And it's been a, a very hectic month. October has been crazy. I knew it would be crazy. There was a ton going on and I'm really looking forward to getting back into that groove. Where at least a few nights a week I'm sitting down and working consistently on a project, right. whatever it is. So um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. But it is interesting, like I, I feel I hear what you're saying, which is if you wanted to, you could sit down and, and churn out the Billy Dent story, right? Right. Do I, you want to is is the question, I guess.
1: You know, this is this is a very difficult balance because there is There are two sets of advice that you give to writers in this situation. And it all depends on what kind of writer they are, are, but also what level they've reached, where they are in their development Uh as a writer. You know, I tell new writers button chair. Button chair. Yes. Hands on keyboard, get it done, no excuses. They come to me and they say, well,. You know, I don't know, maybe the story's not the right one, maybe I should write a different story. Yeah. And I say, You know what? You gotta finish something. Yeah. You don't get to abandon a story. You gotta finish you gotta finish one of them at mm-hmm. some point so that you know what that is like. Yes. Because you need to know what it's like to go from start to finish. Yeah. It's different at every stage. And finishing a story retroactively changes the experience of writing it. You know? Yeah. It really does. It changes the way you think about it after the fact.
0: That's a really good point. And Put that quote on a sweatshirt. <laughs>
1: change, finishing a story retroactively changes the way you think about it. I can just see people walking around with that and the <laughs> puzzled looks on faces of passersby. But, you know, that's what you tell some writers. Other writers... You tell them, no, you need a break. Mm-hmm. Take a break. Yeah. You know, take, take a break. Don't do this. Don't do that. And it's difficult because it can be difficult sometimes to tell which sort of writer you're talking to. Right. I don't know who's listening to this show. Right. You know, I mean, there could be people, people right now who are really messing up because <laughs> they're going to take the wrong piece of advice out of this. But in general, in general, my feeling is, for example, if you have already finished a novel, whether it was published or not, whether it was good or not, and you're working on a new one and you're just not feeling it and you think maybe you want to work on something else, mm-hmm. you probably can because you've had the experience of finishing it. But if you have a string of unfinished novels behind you, because there's always something sexier around the mm-hmm. corner, then...
0: Then you need to hunger down and finish you it. Just,
1: I'm sorry, but you need to nail your feet to the floor in yeah. front of your computer so you can't get up and leave yeah. and finish the goddamn book mm-hmm. so that... You can look back and go, "Okay, now I know what that's like."
0: Mm-hmm. Tough love.
1: It, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. Right. So a quick pop culture update.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, this I know what this is, and it hurts my heart.
0: <laughs> um, the lef- the leftovers, one of our favorite shows.
1: Oh.
0: But big glaring flaw in last week's episode,
1: oh. which was
0: when Amy Brenneman's character,
1: Laurie,
0: Laurie. Met with a publisher, oh, and as oh. she checked in at the reception desk, no! the Don't receptionist said they really love your book. No, <laughs> and it was just so funny because, like, literally, no one would tell the receptionist that. The receptionist, even if she she or he did know, would not then say that. Would to not to say that's
1: the whole thing. Author. Like maybe the receptionist has heard some scuttlebutt around the office. Fine, right. but. No, the whole th- and the whole thing where she apparently, she's an intelligent grown woman with internet access, yes. and her path to publication was she wrote the whole book. Which without a backup, by, by
0: the way. Without
1: a backup, with one copy on her laptop, wrote the whole book.
0: Printed it.
1: Printed it out, and sent it off to multiple publishers unsolicited. Yes. And somebody plucked it out of the slush pile. The whole thing... I, it, now, what I'm going to say next pains me. Yeah. This hurts like you cannot imagine. But for those brief, like, five minutes of TV, the leftovers sank to the level of younger.
0: I was going to say, it was like younger flashbacks all over again. It,
1: it hurt so much. So, so yeah. So, they pick her book out of the slush and invite her invite to invite a fancy her meeting to New York, New York for City. a fancy meeting to talk about this. Everything was wrong. Yeah. Everything was wrong. I mean, so many things. First of all, like... Maybe some publishing friends can chime in on this. I am pretty sure that that most publishing people would consider it mildly unethical not to at least suggest she get an agent. Right.
0: right. Nobody
1: suggested she get an agent. Uh-huh. So that right there, that rubbed me the wrong way. Second of all, again, she's an intelligent woman with Internet access, yes. a professional, like yes. a psychotherapist who uh, was – Oh God, had been part of this cult and came out of the cult and was writing a book about her experiences in this very famous cult. Mm -hmm. Imagine some, imagine the equivalent of Scientology, right? Yeah. Somebody writing an expose on Scientology. I cannot imagine that her first thought was, was not let me write the book, but rather let me write a letter about my experiences and get an agent to get me a lot of money before I write the book. Yeah. Like that's how it's done. Yeah. And. The whole, So the whole thing, I, it just pained just
0: that me. that whole plot point. It just, a,
1: it was so painful. It
0: was, sm- it was a fairly small plot it point. It was a minor think, thing, and, and
1: which is what drove me crazy because yeah. there was no reason, A, not to do it right. Yeah. It wouldn't have affected the story at all if mm-hmm. they had done it right. B, they could have made it something other than like publishing a book. Yeah. You know? I, and it, so it's just, oh, yeah. it hurts. It's such a good show. And to have them bungle that. Like as soon as she said, like, I'm going to New York, I'm meeting with a the publisher, yeah. they want to publish my book. Uh-huh. You and I looked at each other uh-huh. and we're just like, Oh no. no. No, no, no. And
0: what's really interesting is that I mean the leftovers is based on a book. They should know better.
1: They really should. I and again, it's my standard rant about this.
0: Just ask why someone. don't any
1: of these people understand how publishing works? Right.
0: Like, They're all just,
1: writers.
0: Just place a phone call. Send an email to a friend. You ever, Every one of those writers, I'm sure, knows someone who works in publishing.
1: First, for, first yeah. of all, I find it difficult to imagine that there is any screenwriter in Hollywood who has not at least dabbled, yeah. at least attempted to get a novel published, right. and therefore has the no process. understanding yeah. of the yeah. process. First of all, there's that. Second of all, yes, any one of those people could pick up the phone and call a novelist or an editor mm-hmm. or a publicist or anybody yeah. and just... Five minutes. Here's our scene. Oh, that wouldn't work. Okay, thanks. It drives me crazy.
0: Why is this? It's just so interesting. Like, who has what invested in perpetuating this myth of publishing? I don't know. That's the golden question. I
1: I don't know. I don't understand it at all. Yeah. I mean, it's madness. Anyway.
0: Great show. Great episode. Except for that moment. Great
1: show. Great episode. Except for
0: that. (laughs) All right. Recommended reading.
1: You know, I'm going to recommend a book that I read uh, probably a month or so ago, and I believe it just fell through the cracks on the show. It is The Girl with the Wrong Name by Barnabas Miller. It's a good title. It is. It's a good title. And uh, it's a really interesting book. It's really well written. It's a nice mystery, uh, you know, sort of a, a psychological mystery in addition to an actual you know, murder mystery. And uh, it's it's really well done. It's a really cool book and uh, people should give it a shot. Nice. What about you?
0: Uh, so I'm in the middle of almost done A Tangle of Gold by Jacqueline Moriarty, which I was so excited to start we talked last, about week. last yeah. week. Yeah. Uh, but I do want to say it's so funny. So it's book three in a trilogy. It's a complicated sort of fantasy book. And as a result, there's lots of characters. There's two different worlds. Um, there's lots of sort of politics like not quite as bad as Game of Thrones obviously but but there's some political stuff going on and you know it's been a while between book two and now book three and I was worried that I was not going to follow along well or that I wasn't going to be as into this book as I was the previous two because there had been such a a, a fairly long gap and um but gosh what a testament to a writing because it is so it's just such strong clever, witty writing that I don't care about any of the stuff that I might not have remembered. And she's done a really expert job of weaving in the backstory so that even if I didn't remember it, I will suddenly remember it and understand. That is a true skill. And it's really, it's just, yeah, I'm I'm really in awe because I think it's, that's a, you're right, that is a real skill. And she's doing it excellently. You know, there's a joke with um, the Babysitter's Club series, which is that uh, the end of chapter one or all of chapter two in every single book of the babysitter's club is a recap of how the club came to be and who each member is uh, and what they're like and who their families are. And, sure. you know, so, so everyone always skips those, those chapters, and right. it's just this funny thing. Like we all know you got to read the first two pages to get the intro story and then skip until, right. the, you know, and it's just really funny. So that's an easy trap to fall into. And, um, and Jacqueline does not do it, and it's fantastic. So Cool. Yeah. So anyway, highly recommended still, and I'm looking forward to finishing it.
1: Great. All
0: right. That's it for us this week, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. You can visit us online at writinginreallife.com, where you'll find our show notes, contact form, and lots of other information. Also, you can comment there. And thank you to the recent commenters, because there's been some, some good stuff. We've
1: gotten some really good comments yeah. lately. we uh, We may talk about a couple of them next time
0: yeah don't forget also to subscribe to us in itunes where you can also rate us while you're there we will be back next week thanks so much everyone
1: thanks everybody